Hello everyone and welcome to People Make the Difference, the Lorian podcast. We bring together the best guests from across HR, TA, technology and people related functions to talk about all aspects of talent acquisition, talent management, industry insight and much more with the aim to give you an insight into what the best organisations do to acquire and look after the people that make a difference within their business. In this episode, I'm talking to Danny Hodgson, founder of uh, Foresight, which is a workforce planning technology. We thought this would be a very useful episode to kick off 2024. Enjoy. <laughs> so, Danny, thank you so much for uh, agreeing to record with me today. Would you mind um, giving our listeners a, a quick intro into you, um, yourself, your role? I'm asking a lot of questions here, Anna. Um, what led you into founding Foresight uh, and what was the original inspiration? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, lovely to chat. It's uh, so customer director here at Foresight. So one of the co-founders with Craig Payne, who's the other co-founder. Um, my job is kind of front of house sales, trying to kind of land as many customers as we can, trying to educate the world in terms of what the, the benefits of workforce planning are and how to solve them uh, in various different guises. Um, what was the inspiration or where did Foresight come from? Well, I tell a lot of people this in terms of I like to think that myself and Craig, we're not your typical kind of TA tech founders. We are from uh, the other side of the fence. For many years, it was our job to design, build and implement kind of large scale in-house recruitment teams. And Foresight came from a, like a burning need and a pain point that both Craig and I were feeling. So it's not like we saw a gap in the market. We thought, oh, we figured something out we're going to be trillionaires it's a we got fed up of the businesses we worked in operating in a truly reactive manner when it came to recruitment and talent acquisition um, and we've kind of distilled the root cause analysis down to actually the demand is out there in the business the business and it's not telling the recruitment team uh, in the most amount of time so we're not maximizing that demand signal uh, so we tried various different ways to fix it and then a quick Google for kind of demand planning technology, as we were calling it back then, uh, brought back zero results. And then it was a case of, OK, we, we continue to operate in a reactive manner or we try and fix it. And stupidly, we, we tried to uh, we took on the challenge of trying to fix it. And that's kind of now manifested itself in terms of like our kind of mission is to try and underpin as many TA teams uh, in the world with demand planning technology so they don't face the same problems that we did and then they can give a better recruitment service back to their organisations that they support. So that's where it came from. How long was that? I'm just interested. How long was that period between that Google search of, yes, there's nothing out there to you? Because I bet there was a bit of apprehension. I kinda, well, maybe, maybe there wasn't, but there's that, shall we really go and do this? Where do we start? Those kind of conversations. What would that? What was that time period like from deciding that maybe you you were going to do something to then going to do it? So the time deciding to do something about it was pretty instant. It was a uh, well, we need to do something about this, regardless. And, and never in our wildest dreams did we think it was a technology, right? So we started off with Excel workbooks, firing out to the business, trying different methods, workshops with your business leaders, etc. Trying, trying, trying different things. And, and that's the beauty, I think, in terms of like mine and Craig's relationship, in terms of we weren't afraid to try anything, no matter how silly or stupid it sounded at the time. So that time frame was probably a couple of years 
Yeah, so was, we were working in different organisations. We were sharing best practice. Have you tried that? Did that work at your company? No, I tried this. Did that work? Oh, there's a little bit of success here. And then it kind of worked its way around a couple of years to eventually it's a, actually this probably when we distilled the problem, it was a uh, this is common sense, but we can probably only solve this by using technology. So we built something like something really rudimentary and basic, but the results initially were uh, were phenomenal. And then that kind of gave us the uh, the fuel to go, actually, there's probably something in this. And then we started getting calls, you know, from like our peers in different organisations saying, oh, Danny, Craig, we've heard you've got this. Can we have a look at it? And we showed it to them and they're like, we have that exact same problem. And we were like, ah, really? Yeah, of course you do. And they're like, can we buy it? And we're like, oh, let's see what happens. Wow. It's just, I love those kind of stories because it just goes to show people that it's not that, that kind of overnight thing. It was iterative over a couple of years and eventually like kind of taking the plunge once you once you build a version. So that's interesting. Because we're going to talk a lot about Foresight today, could you give um, just a high level overview of how Foresight works and its key features for our for our listeners? Yeah, sure. So it's it's obviously evolved over the last kind of like three, four years in terms of its uh, use case and applicability. But in the most simplistic terms possible, it's imagine as a TA leader, like if you had an army of people in your team that weren't carrying any wrecks, that you could deploy them out to the business to have conversations with not just business leaders, but every layer within your organization to extract what's going on in their teams, recruitment demand, retirees, resignations, mat levers, growth, all that kind of stuff. You do it, wouldn't you? You deploy that to extract that and then essentially collate that demand plan for the next kind of three, six, nine, 12, 36 months. That's effectively what it does. It's It has digital conversations with every single manager or person in your business that might have a recruitment need. Uh, and it does that on your behalf. And that sounds like common sense. But the reason why organizations don't do it is because they don't have that army of people in their team, right? Their recruiters have all got 20, 30, 40 live recs. That if you said, hey, John, I know you've got, I know you've got 30 live recs, but can you go and have a conversation with your 86 managers that you support? And they'd be like, well, no, when can I do that? I've got 30 live recs. There's an hour per rec. That's 30 hours of my week gone already. And you probably spend more than an hour per rec anyway. Um, so that's where it started, was literally just extracting recruitment demand from our kind of line managers within the business in the easiest way possible. But as it's evolved over time, we've been dragged into the wider HR sphere and we are now truly a workforce playing technology because we don't just do recruitment demand. Our customers started asking us questions like, Danny, you know you're asking our line managers about recruitment demand. Well, could we ask them about flight risks? Because if we can understand our flight risks profiles, we can stop them leaving, uh, getting better at our retention, and it stops it becoming a requisition in the TA team. We're like, yeah, no brainer. So we built that kind of uh, application in. And then over time, our talent partner customers start to say, why don't we ask managers about succession plans and risks in their team? Because we can then understand our succession risks uh, en masse yeah sure and we built that for them and then our learning and development director started asking them why don't we ask our managers what learning and development and skills gap analysis they require for them and their teams so we built that so what started as a recruitment forecasting uh, tool turned into a demand planning tool but then got dragged wider across the whole HR uh, suite and now truly we are a workforce planning tool so high level that's kind of what we do that's so interesting. And do you think, 
I'm not asking you to give away any trade secrets here, but do you think we're we're talking to a lot of clients now about skills based hiring? It feels like that's the kind of direction of travel at the moment. Is that the kind of next frontier with us with working with LD and that kind of area of foresight, do you think? Start analysing skills that you've got, skills that need to be developed. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that, that and that was what that's kind of the use case that's starting to explode really. Uh, because ultimately, skills-based hiring right, and moving towards a skills-based program in your organisation is kind of a really hot topic. But the one thing that's stopping organisations in doing that is they don't know what skills they've currently got. So, so how do we know, how can we get our colleagues and our kind of employees moving towards that workforce of the future and the skills to the future if we don't know what we've got, Right. And that's kind of what they're using foresight is to understand what current skill sets they have in their organisations. And we're extracting skills like people in contact centres that are doing part time like uh, software development courses that their manager didn't understand. Well, actually, great. If we've got somebody and we know that, well, actually, we can create a career framework plan for that person to becoming a software engineer, no longer having to go external. And it all starts by having simple conversations, but just en masse. Uh, but that's exactly what our customers are using it for. Yeah, interesting. We've seen some real growth in that area with, with conversations. Um, so in, in kind of reality then, um, obviously don't name any particular customers or anything like that, but um, what have been some of the the big um, changes, you know, the big um, success stories that you've had for some of your clients? I mean, I imagine a lot of it's been shortening time to offer because recruiters have had more time um, down the pipeline but have there been any kind of real where are the real key metrics that have seen an improvement from uh, where foresight's been deployed yeah well so across those different four use cases i mentioned on the recruitment obviously recruitment does get quicker um i know you'll know that i'm not a big fan of the times a higher metric uh, but where our customers see big improvements in the recruitment angle is in the empty chair redu- reduction so on revenue generating roles by better planning, right? They're going to see fewer empty seats in their revenue generating roles. And because of that, revenue is going to go up. So therefore, recruitment can then tangibly say, ah, right, this amount of revenue was because of our recruitment optimization uh, program in becoming better at demand planning, right? Uh, and therefore, cost per hire might go down. But the big one is probably their EDI initiative. So some of our customers are absolutely smashing their 2025 EDI targets uh, early because they're using our demand plan to get better at recruiting, say, females in a certain department. But also, you know, the flight risk, they're pointing both barrels at retaining females in certain functions because it's all well and good spending all this money recruiting a certain demographic. But if you're losing that demographic at the other end of the pipe, you're on this hamster wheel and this never ending journey in terms of recruiting. So they're using it to retain more kind of females, recruit uh, recruit more females, and therefore hitting their gender hiring targets in some instances a year, a year and a half early because of kind of foresight. We we always share best practice across our customers, and our customers now are taking that kind of logic in terms of hiring more females and applying it to other demographics that might be underrepresented uh, within their business. Um, so that's on the recruitment angle. So that's a huge success. And ultimately, when kind of recruitment can start talking to the business about driving more revenue, the business start listening to them, right? Because they're not shouting, oh, we've reduced our time to hire by 10 days. And business leaders are like, 
but I don't care because you've reduced it by 10 days, but the, the, the role was still vacant for 45 days, yeah? Whereas where we start saying, actually, we've reduced that empty chair day by 45 days down to 26, and for every day it's 1,456 pounds, so 1,456 times 24, the business start going, ah, oh, right, because we start talking the language that they care about, which is money, right? Unfortunately, sometimes it is just comes down to money. So that elevates the recruitment team from a wider HR perspective, because we start retaining uh, key uh, colleagues, we can then start attributing a cost, uh, the true cost of replacement of a role. So for every single person we retain, I'm sure everybody would agree that it saves you money in re-recruiting, retraining and re-onboarding, right? And those numbers, we work with our customers and we work out laser uh, focused values behind every single role that's a flight risk so then we can say as a HR function right if we were to go and re-recruit this role it would cost us 46,000 pounds because the person's on 120 grand it costs this and this and this and then we can uh, attribute that amount of money for every single flight risk and those numbers are eye-watering one of our customers is over two million pounds in cost saving flight risk alone in nine months Again, it comes down to money, isn't it? What do the business care about? It's money, it's money, it's money. Um, so yeah, it's uh, th there's a, <clears throat> a whole host of benefits, but ultimately what we like to do here is, we often do amazing stuff in TA, don't we? Big projects in the business, but we struggle to articulate back to the business the true value of that, right? And we say, because normally it's the metrics that we've been measuring. Ah, oh, right, our cost per hire is down, don't care. Our time to hire is down, don't care, actually. Our revenues are because of this. Yeah, we've saved this amount of money in cost avoidance because of this. That's when the business go, ah, oh, right, that was a worthwhile project. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think it's something that we need to do better at across our whole industry, to be honest, is talk the language that the business cares about, but actually show what that means, show that, like you say, the, how much the empty chair costs. Yes, the cost for high has gone down, but what you know, what's the differential between what it was and what it's gone down to and what, totaled up does that price mean but I, I couldn't agree more we need, to, we need to do better with with all of that um you might disagree with me on this but I, I honestly feel that we haven't scratched the surface with workforce planning across most organizations yet some are doing great jobs but I, I would say they're in the minority rather than the majority what do you think is preventing the majority from conducting better workforce planning what why are so many uh, organizations not getting started on that journey uh, well i agree with you that yeah so some of the organizations <laughs> that we talk to they're leaders in their field they're big brains but literally you talk to them like what are you doing about your workforce and they're like we, nothing and it blows my mind that workforce planning uh is just so wildly not kind of uh, accepted in organizations what are the reasons probably number one accountability so whose job is it to do it right so again finance have a workforce planning definition hr have a workforce planning definition ta have a workforce planning definition more often than not it's somewhere in the middle right and then because it's in the middle no one puts their arms around it uh, so somebody needs to step up and in my opinion it's ta because ultimately when the kind of blame and responsibility gets kicked down the line it will always end up in ta right it's a we didn't hire this. No matter person. what it is. Exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. We're the kind of the scapegoats for everything, aren't we? So that's why I think we need to step up uh, and own it. The other main reason is people often don't understand what workforce planning is. They overcomplicate it. They overengineer it. They've never done it before. They've never spent money trying to fix it. 
But what all what I think HR kind of leaders need to realise is they don't have a time to hire problem. They have a workforce planning problem. They don't have a cost per hire problem. You have a workforce planning problem. We don't uh, we haven't got a quality of hire problem. Got a workforce. Problem. All of those things are fundamentally workforce planning problems. So we need to stop. We need to lose the big workforce planning kind of title and mantle and focus on the individual stream. So like I mentioned, the demand planning, the flight risk profile and the succession planning, the L&D skills gap. And I just pick one. Right. Just pick that. Pick one and it'll be transformational to your business. And you're doing workforce planning. That's a, that's long and short of it is just start basic, build maturity over time. But don't try and fix everything from day one. Just pick one thing like demand planning, right, or, or flight risk, planning, whatever your problem is. But start using language internally in the organisation to say, oh, we don't have a time to hire problem. We've got a demand planning problem, right? So do some root cause analysis and eventually everything will come back to workforce planning. Everything does, right? Look at different functions in the organisation like supply chain, finance, uh, marketing. They all work to a plan. Right. They'd never dream of rocking up like marketing would never dream of rocking up and going, I wonder what events we're going to do today. They'll, they'll be in the plan, the schedule for years, won't they? Like in terms of they'll have a calendar and a series of uh, cascades and events coming down the line. Finance. I wonder I wonder what payroll would look like this month. Like, no, there'll be a plan in place. Right. IT. I wonder what IT we're going to roll out this month. Doesn't happen. But TA often rock up like. I wonder what we're going to hire today because we wait for the business to tell us. That's why I think we need to take control of it because finance are not going to fix it for us, right? Wider colleagues in HR are not going to fix it because they've got other burning platforms to do. Uh, so that's kind of my reason why I think it's not widely accepted yet. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. I just feel like it just seems like such a like a huge task in front of people and um there is a shortage of skills in workforce planning. I mean, when we we've looked, there's not a lot of people who are experts in workforce planning and have done it commercially for for a number of years. And that's where foresight comes in because it almost lends you that expertise. We've often spoke before commercially. It's just like hiring a contractor. Um, but I love that a bit of advice you gave. You don't need to boil the ocean. Just start a step at a time um, is effective. Um, talk about the kind of skills of the people out there and the kind of workforce planning practitioners what in your opinion is that kind of intersection between uh those people and technology like foresight when it comes to workforce planning um i'm assuming they're complementary when they work together but not uh, like a necessity how do you see that interplay uh working out yeah so there's so many different approaches out there as well, which again falls yeah. into why organisations don't. There's no do standard it. approach, is there? To work there isn't. No. So time. some people are top down, some people are bottom up. We're bottom up, um, but you, you even get some of the large consulting houses that are still deploying like large swathes of people using Excel to collect data and spending all of their time collecting data, collecting data, compiling it, collating it, getting into a house where, okay, now we can actually make some decisions. But that process takes so long, right? I could take six to nine months to do that exercise. Whereas then you're going to go, right, okay, let's make a decision based on the data. But then the data is nine months out of date and you think, God, we've got to do it again, right? So our approach is like people and the technology, where do they kind of play a part? 
to use technology to do the heavy lifting, to do all of the hard work, to do the data collection, to do all of that low kind of skill tasks, right? So collect the use technology to collect the data, and then the people should analyze the data and make strategic decisions based off what they've uh, harvested from the business. Um, so that's where kind of I believe technology and people kind of come together. I think people are scared of technology, so they're still kind of comfortable in deploying people because it's the safe method or we don't want to lose the human touch. You're like, well, if, if you don't lose the human touch, it's going to take you longer. It's going to be more expensive. The data is going to go out of date a lot quicker. It's not going to be replicable. Um, so, yeah, it's a, that's where I think people and technology uh, come together. Yeah, we've we've seen it a lot. And even in managing uh, people and teams in Lorien, whenever somebody wants to do something new, the first reaction from all of us is usually like, oh, we need to hire someone for that. We need to hire someone that knows about that. And it's not always the case. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you there. Um, in terms of foresight then, Danny, what, what's next on the, on the roadmap? Is there anything that you're able to share with us um, at this time? Uh, yeah, so obviously we, are, we still consider ourselves as like an emerging uh, technology. So we're firmly in the space of we are trying to acquire as many customers as possible because with that, comes like shared learnings so all of our roadmap is uh, developed in conjunction with our customers i think the skills based one is going to be huge uh, the our foresight platform has been rebuilt a couple of times uh, over the last couple of years uh, both looking at the kind of the interface from a manager perspective how do we make it as easy as possible to empower managers uh, to own and be accountable for their workforce plan because that's another thing right Workforce planning should be owned by managers. This shouldn't be a TA, as much as I've said TA should own it, this shouldn't be a TA or a HR owned process. If a manager is a manager, they're managing people, they're a leader of people, they should be spending time planning their resources and they should be spending time workforce planning, right? It's amazing to think that there's so many managers out there that are just left to get on with everything. So, We've rebuilt and we are spending a lot of time on the manager interface to help guide um, and educate and kind of facilitate the extraction of that data from managers in the easiest way possible. Um, we are integrating kind of every single week with more and more ATSs and HRSs to make data transfer more seamless. Um, I believe that if we could kind of partner more with candidate sourcing technology, we could automate probably like 40, 50 percent of a recruiter's uh, role at the minute. So, yeah, that's kind of where we're focusing our efforts. Oh, super interesting stuff. And talk about the hiring manager community just got me wondering, is that the is that the bit that best defines like a, sex, a successful deployment of foresight is ensuring that hiring manager adoption? Is that the kind of the, not the baffle, but is that the the real key part of when you implement with a new customer? Yeah, well, so adoption rate is customers are more savvy than ever, right? And they're starting to, they always ask us about what's your adoption rate. And luckily for us, because the technology is so easy to use, our adoption rate is like through the roof. But I think where people get hung up on is they need like 100% adoption all of the time. Uh, well, actually, in reality, a lot of our more mature customers are coming around to the idea of actually, as long as a manager does it once, right, because then the engine takes care of their plans and prompts and guides them to refresh, et cetera. They're, they're almost like hooked and they're in the process. So our customers are now 
uh, of the mentality, right, all we need is 100% of our managers to do it at least once within the year. Because once they've done it once, they're, they're like, they're in the matrix, right? They're, they're hooked and they're plugged in. And then they start to see the benefits of that uh, process. So they, they tell us about recruitment needs. They get a recruitment service. They tell us about a flight risk. They get sent education material or a meeting with the HRBP. And all of this stuff happens like the very next day. So the manager's like, bloody hell, I only told recruitment about this yesterday and already recruitment's been raised and prompted and in their approval routes and stuff and they start to go ah right this is kind of my way of interacting with everyone uh, in HR and the wider business so adoption rates are really good but it's not a kind of a be all and end all for our customers anymore it's uh, actually as long as they've done it once we know managers have got a working plan that then foresight will guide and educate and prompt them to revisit and edit it uh, whenever the time's right. Yeah, I, I just thought that'd be the case because I think we see it across different, not just technologies, but all kinds of different programs. It's that hiring manager community because they're the people that have the challenges every day. They're the people who are most busiest. They're the people who need uh, skills now, people now. They're feeling the most pressure. If you can show them the benefits and, and get them on board, then that's always the, the biggest, biggest success for us as well. And um, about you personally now then, Danny, if that's okay, what do you enjoy most about being a founder or or co-founder? And is, is it a path I thought you'd go down? Uh, no, it's definitely not a path I'd go down. I'd say, what do I, it's probably easy to tell you what I don't enjoy because th there's a lot. Everybody kind of thinks about being a founder. It's this amazing, sexy journey that, you're going to be on like this rocket ship. It's nice, uh, especially for us as well, because like I mentioned at the beginning, no one had ever spent any money trying to solve this problem. So myself and Craig, for the first kind of couple of years, we had to try and educate the world to say, look, this is a problem that you've been kind of locking in a cupboard, ignoring for so long, but actually all the root cause problems that you're facing, time to high cost, they're all linked to this root cause. So you need to kind of open the cupboard door and actually let the problem out and start to look at it. Um, and we're only scratching the surface with that, right? Um, so we are definitely in the education phase. And you do question why you do it because there's a lot of resistance that we've never done this before. Uh, we've never spent money on it, Danny. I don't know if my boss will ever get it. I don't know if the leaders are bothered. And so we that's all the bad stuff. The good stuff is actually when you do work with customers right from the beginning on the education and the, the light bulb goes on and they go, actually, I want to take this to my boss. And we work with them to create a business case. And then that business case goes up and the, their boss sees it and they're like, oh, my God, we never realized we we're hemorrhaging this amount of cash because of this problem. And then actually that person looks really good. Um, so that's the good stuff, because I, I love just having conversations with people about this problem, uh, whether it goes anywhere or not. Uh, we turned away loads of work earlier this year down in terms of like our technology doesn't fix it for everyone. If you're too small, probably won't work. Uh, so what I, I spent loads of time in conversations with small scale up, smaller organisations saying this is how you do what you do. Like this is how Foresight does it. You might be able to go and do it manually, go and try it for free and, and turning away work. So. That's part of the job I do like is the amount of conversations I have, listening to people's challenges, seeing if we can come up with a solution um, together. Um, but I'd say it's definitely not a journey I ever thought uh, I'd go on. I loved my old job in terms of in terms of the operational design and building, kind of implementing the teams. Um, 
but yeah i'd say is being a founder it sometimes it can be quite lonely um we're fully remote the safety net of a job's all gone it's um yeah there's there's definite downsides your life almost goes on hold for for a period of time uh, but if anybody is think if anybody's got an idea right that that might watch this and think oh, i've got an idea i wonder if i can get it off the ground let's have a chat i'll tell them kind of the warts and all what to be prepared of the amount of times you get punched in the stomach how many times you've got to get up um but then you do win a customer and then you start to see the results uh, so we've got a fantastic uh, customer, so Chris Rowe, right, if any of you kind of listeners know Chris Rowe, he messaged me the other week about, I don't know, six o'clock in the evening, then we've got five minutes for a quick chat, never a message you want to get from a customer like in the evening, I'm thinking, oh God, what's going on here? Eventually got on the call with me, he's like, Dennis, I want to tell you how great Foresight is, it's going amazing, our leaders don't just see it as a workforce council, they see it as like a pe- people and culture chain tool, and I'm like, okay that makes all the crap stuff for the last six months disappeared that that one conversation for them a smiling ear to where you but you relay that back to the team um and then yeah there's big celebrations around that yeah i think that was uh, a very well-rounded answer you're um the latest in a line of of founders I've, i've spoken to on the on the podcast danny and each have said the same thing it's rewarding but it is a tough path to to get to those rewards um, are there any kind of other great HR or recruitment technologies out there that you've you've seen or worked with recently that uh, would be good for for me or our our listeners to check out? Uh, well, I think I can't remember the last count, but someone told me something like there's like twenty six thousand different HR TA tech things out there, um, all in defined categories of stuff like ATS, like yeah, candidate sourcing, assessment, screening, all the similar stuff. I'd say the two that I quite like at the minute, Equitas, so Michael Blakely Equitas, so fair based uh, interview hiring technology. Again, he's kind of on a similar journey to us, uh, so check them out. And then Scotty AI, the voice technology, um, which allows you to kind of screen, assess thousands and thousands of candidates, like uh, in the at the same time. That looks pretty cool. There's some really clever stuff out there, isn't there? Like super clever stuff, and it's evolving. It's evolving all the time, and I'm lucky that as part of my role, I must speak to. 100 different technologies every year um so yeah there is tons out there um a real big question for you now and all year i've been asking people oh, what do you think what do you predict for 2023 and i can't believe we're now recording this on the 13th of december and i'm, I'm going to ask you this and it's going to be more about 2024 but what do you what do you think 2024 is going to hold from a kind of recruitment and hiring perspective and how do you think people in our fields should be able to or should prepare for that it's a tough I question. It's a big question. It's a tough <laughs> question because I reckon if if you ask somebody on the 13th of December 2022, no one would have said chat GPT. No one would have said no. anything along those sorts. So you've seen just you've seen what can happen in the space of a year, right? Which again, so coming back to like workforce, people say to me, Danny, your data set might only be three years. I think strategic workforce planning is five, 10, 15. You're like, fine, that's what you think. You crack on and you do your 15-year outlook because 15 years ago, think back of what technology was around then. Like all of that stuff gets ripped up. So focus on kind of the, the one, two, three, four years. But in terms of TA and hiring, 
I think 2024 will definitely pick up uh, in terms of the market. There's definitely green shoots. You see more and more people announcing new jobs uh, on LinkedIn. So companies are getting more and more confidence. Will that come January? Maybe January, February, March. Um, I don't want to say AI. I reckon everybody you've interviewed has said AI. But, we'll AI. <laughs> but one, of, one of the questions that, so when we, again, if I go back a year, when we used to present our customers their demand plan, like every role they're going to recruit for the next three years, the, one of the first screens uh, they'd look at and, and or kind of filters they'd go is like, right, okay, how can we look at all of this like-for-like replacement and start to move it towards the yeah. uh, workforce of the future? And those questions were simple things like, well, does this even need to be a perm role going forward? Can it be an FTC or whatever, right? And again, that was game changing for companies because like, oh, right, we can start to reduce this and move that skill over here. That was only a year ago. What our customers are now doing is they're looking at that exact same demand plan and they're not asking, is that a, is that even a perm now? They're saying, is that a human? Like, can that role be performed by AI or uh, chat GPT or whatever, which is 50% exciting, 50% quite scary because that's how people's brains quickly move on. And our finance kind of uh, colleagues, they particularly love that because they're like, whoa, hang on a minute, we can maintain this level of productivity um, and get rid of this amount of our workforce. I'm not saying wholesale changes. I'm talking about like ones and twos in each department. But again, going back to that start simple, build maturity, just doing that ones and twos in each different department, again, will be transformational in moving towards the skills uh, for the future. Yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more. And um, I've just subscribed to GPT-4. It finally opened up the waitlist again. So just tinkering about it in the last couple of days is is uh, is awesome, really. It's bonkers, I'm just isn't trying it? To find ways, I'm just trying to find ways in which it can actually make my life a bit easier. That's the thing now. I've got this capability at my fingertips. It's how can it make me more productive? But yeah, incredible stuff. But I was just laughing when you said 15 years ago. 15 years ago today, I was probably... Well, I was in my first three months at Lorien posting out paper timesheets well, just to show go. how quickly time goes. Paper timesheets and people have to come into your office to show you their passport and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that's just a tiny thing. Um, Ten years before that, people were still faxing CVs and there was no job boards, CV libraries and all the rest of it. So, yeah, it is a, a pretty brutal question that I asked. But um, in terms of the market picking up, we're predicting kind of end of Q1 it feels like um just interesting for you to pass on to your customers and um, when we surveyed our database in january 2023 uh, 82% of technology candidates said they would look for a new job in 2023 when i looked at the attrition stats uh this week only 13% of moved jobs so i think that that leaves a delta of something like uh 69% of people who have been looking all year not moved yeah, people don't talk about the Great Resignation anymore because it didn't really happen. But I can really, if, if inflation keeps dropping and wages, you know, people feel a bit more comfortable to move, I can see a real big shift in the first half of next year as everyone kind of moves around for the move that they haven't been able to make. Yeah, people are hunkered down at the moment, aren't they? Which yeah. might might lead organisations into a bit of a false sense of security in terms of we don't have an attrition problem. You're like you don't at the minute because the whole world isn't moving but as soon as that opens up and then people remember how they were treated and that kind of stuff again we might assist this cycle that will go through and there's that shift now as well where um 
organization are kind of going now well we did let you work where you want we want you back in two or three days mandatory a lot of people really don't want that so it could be it'd be interesting i'm usually wrong with my predictions but i can just see a big a big bit of churn potentially happening um early next year um but thanks so much for your time danny you've been really generous to to stay with me for, for nearly an hour um so the name of this podcast is called people make the difference it's a bit of a lorry and motto that that we talk about all the time and actually um quite often it's not about the service you provide in terms of the components of it but it's how you know you make people within that service feel and actually it's that one-on-one interaction that, that really makes a difference for people um i'm sure there'll be tons of people who've made a difference in in your life in, in various different ways but to finish off today would you mind uh picking a person and telling us about how they made a difference to you uh, well, there has been a few, uh, both like professionally, personally. Uh, so who would I go for? Well, I'll tell you what, I'd keep it in the professional, but also in our sector. So when we first started out in this journey, uh, Johnny Campbell, like social talent. Yeah, they're exploding. Um, all you viewers will have heard of him. He was kind of like seen as this bit of a, like a TA rock star. Um, but he was so generous, not only in his time, but his advice. Um, Anytime we wanted to pick up the phone, he was there and he's like, all oh, right, you're going to face this problem. Like three weeks later, we faced that problem. We're like, how does this guy know? Because he he trodden that path before. But he was so generous in his time, his advice. Like we almost saw him as a bit of a mentor. I haven't spoken to him in uh, quite some time. So it's reminded me to kind of drop him a message. But he is. Not only has he got an amazing platform, everybody loves social talent, right? But he is the nicest guy behind the scenes. He really is. He's so generous. He's switched on. He's smart. He's funny. Uh, sounds like this is the Johnny Campbell kind of uh, fan club. But <laughs> he, he, he is such a nice guy. And he kind of, yeah, allowed me and Craig not to make the same mistakes he made. He's, he's like this kind of like playbook for TA tech yeah. founders. He really is. Yeah. I love that. Nothing necessarily in it for him personally, but just someone who wants the whole industry to do well and is generous with time and advice. Yeah. I love that, Danny. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Um, Looking forward to many more conversations next year. And yeah, really appreciate it. Thanks very much. Great stuff. Lovely chat. Have a great Christmas.